CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Options Action is brought to you by TD Ameritrade, where you gain access to research tools to help you sharpen your trading strategies. It's Friday, and that means it is time for Options Action. I'm Melissa Lee. Here's what's on tap. Two roads diverged in a red tech sell-off. And we dropped the poetry book, split up, and took both. First up, Carter Worth tackles the technical damage done in Google. And if it can continue, then find out why Tony is selecting Microsoft as a long-term winner that can endure. Plus, Professor Cole with a teaching moment on how to catch up when sudden and swift changes catch you off guard. It's time to risk less to make more. Options action starts right now. And let's get right to it. Tech taking another beating today. The Nasdaq dropping more than 2.5%, now down more than 7% for the week. And as we gear up for big tech earnings next week, Carter Worth says one name could be in for even more pain. Carter, take it away. Well, certainly more than one can be in for pain, but let's uh, <laughs> let, let's look at Google. Uh, a couple charts, comparative, absolute, relative, we got a ball. So the first one, uh, this is simply looking at Google versus the QQQ versus the SPY, basically in the days leading up to COVID, the plunge and the ricochet. Of course, what we know is SPYs, the market's up 34%, QQQ's up 60 and Google's up 80 And Okay, that's great, but Google's starting to lose ground. The next is an absolute chart, and the next two charts are identical. The first is with the actual trend line, and the second with the automated. So the first one, Google has broken trend. The line is straight, not manipulated by me, and we're below trend. Now look at the next chart. It's using the smoothing mechanism, the 150-day moving average, which most closely approximate actual trend lines, not the 200-day moving average. We have just also broken the 150-day. Um, so where might this be headed? Let's zero in and get tight and up close and personal. The next one is Google. And this is just over the past a year. So we have a topping formation. That's clear. And we have a break in trend. That's clear. But where we are right now, this close today at 26.07 is right uh, just below that October 4th close. So to highlight that, look at the final chart. Those levels, we are literally hovering ominously at well-defined intermediate lows with the prospects of breaking to new lows. The opposite of a breakout is a breakdown. And Google has all the elements for a sharp drop and break. Hmm. Thank you, Carter, for that. Mike, what is the trade then? Yeah, so this is an interesting one, Alphabet, uh, because actually I think this would probably be one of my favorite stocks under normal circumstances for the full year. I mean, this thing is trading at less than 23 times full year estimated earnings cheaper than the market. If you look at it X cash, it's probably about 21 times. And you compare it to other stocks that other people seem to like, although that are also performing very weakly, uh, like Amazon, and which is a comparably valued company that's probably going to make uh, about 80% less in terms of the um, of earnings and you know, over the course of the next five years or so, maybe $260 billion, I should say, uh, versus $500 billion or so in the aggregate over the next five years for, for Alphabet over Amazon, so about 80% more than Amazon. But, you know, obviously nothing seems to be performing all that well. 
in this environment. So if you own the stock, but you're concerned, you know, one thing you could do is consider a hedge. And the hedge I was looking at because implied volatilities for almost everything have gone up because of basically what we're seeing. You could put on a put spread. I was looking at the March 2600-2330 put spread. When I was looking at that, that would cost you a little under $70. That's a $270 put spread. So we're getting very close to that three to one payout that we tend to like when we're looking at debit spreads. But of course, there are going to be viewers who don't own Alphabet right now, might be inclined to take Carter's technically bearish view on the stock right now, but aren't interested in taking the unlimited risk that shorting the stock would involve, or perhaps buying a put spread as expensive as that one. And for those, I would say, you know, one of the things you can do as an options trader is look at a much tighter priced spread. And so just also looking out to the March expiration, consider something like the 2500-2450 put spread. That put spread, in turn, would cost about $12.80. So actually about half the price of a share of stock when you take a look at the 100 multiplier that the options involve. And that's a way for participants who are inclined to make this bet but don't want to commit as much capital, don't want to short the stock, or don't own it and aren't looking to hedge it. That's another way to potentially participate. Tony, what do you think? Yeah, so this is one where I really like the trade, but I'm quite conflicted about it because I really like the business just like Mike, especially if you look at the search and the YouTube monetization pathway that they currently have. There's not a lot to, to hate about this particular stock, but the charts are clear as Carter shows you. Remember, this was a $1,000 stock just two years ago. Ever since it broke out above that $2,600 level in June, it's completing this topping formation, and right now you're at risk of breaking that. And I think downside here is risk is to about $2,000, so about 25% downside risk. So I think for investors that are currently in this particular stock, looking at a hedge makes a lot of sense. You're, you're, you're taking about 2.3% of the stock's value to protect yourself about 25% downside. That makes sense. For speculators, if you're trying to bet on a directional bet here, the fact that Mike is able to take a trade on Google or Alphabet that only cost you half a share, that's a type of trade that you want to use, uh, use options for to leverage your capital so that you can take a more speculative bet. But especially as an investor, the stock's trading at 21 times next year's earnings when you exclude cash. You know, it's, relative, it's cheap relative to itself. It's cheap relative to its sector. So I think it's reasonable for shareholders to hold on to this stock and look for a hedge. Mike, last word on the trade. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, one of those difficult situations. I mean, there is wisdom in crowds. There is wisdom in price. Uh, you know, when we take a look at the financials, it's hard for us to figure out what that is, because if you're simply taking a look at how this company is performing and how it looks to perform, I think over the next few years, it looks like one of the better long side investments that you could make. But right now, the market doesn't seem to like many things, and it doesn't seem to like Alphabet. All right, let's stick with big technology. Microsoft is gearing up to deliver earnings on Tuesday. While shares have dropped recently with the broader tech sell-off, Tony is laying out a way to play the name for bounce back. So, Tony, take it away. Yeah, so I want to take a look at Microsoft because along with this tech sell-off, I actually think Microsoft, similar to Alphabet, is a fairly bulletproof business, and I think there's an opportunity going into earnings next week. If we take a look at the chart of Microsoft, 
this stock broke out almost a year ago from that $230 level, and ever since it's been on a pretty strong uptrend. And since the peak, it's pulled back about 15% back to that trend. And I think now is the opportunity to see a bounce, especially if you look at the earnings announcement next week as the catalyst. And if you look at the relative chart of Microsoft to its sector, it has underperformed the market since November, but we started to see some strength here over the past couple of weeks. And that is what I typically like to look for going into an earnings announcement that shows me this stock may potentially outperform its sector or the market going into the earnings. So if we look at the business, two thirds of its revenue now is generated from a higher margin cloud-based business. And especially if you factor into the 17 to 18% revenue growth that we're still expecting from the stock over the next two to three years, I think the fact that it's trading, trading at about 26 times next year's earnings, this is a pretty, pretty cheap time, especially for Microsoft at the moment. So when we look at the earnings announcement itself, this is really where the markets are implying a very large move, 5.2% versus the average over the last eight quarters of only 2.6%. So the markets think that this could this stock could move quite a bit. So the trade structure that I wanna use is going out to March, similar to the trade structure that Mike's using for Alphabet, I'm using an out of the money call vertical, a bullish call vertical, spending about $8.37 earlier today. If you look at the close, this spread is now trading just around $7 or so for a $30 wide debit spread. So this is an out of the money debit spread that's risking less than 3% of the stock's value to play for a significant move here to the upside on Microsoft earnings next week. Mike, what's your take on the trade? You know, I, I think Dan Nathan said earlier this week, you know, why would you want to be long any tech stock at this point going into earnings? And of course, I kind of agree with that given what we're seeing. But if you are inclined to do it, one of the things we have access to, of course, are options. And when you get into a debit spread like this, where the reward is a multiple of the risk that you're taking, that is the time that it might actually make, might make some sense. I mean, whenever we see market prices falling as we did today, there's always that temptation to try to catch the falling knife. That's a very risky thing to do. But if you think that earnings could be the catalyst that actually gets Microsoft to bounce here, I think a debit spread like the one that Tony just laid out is the right way to do it. Carter, what do you make of Microsoft's chart and what do you make of uh, that statement that Dan had made that you don't want to be long technology going into earnings? Right. Well, let's take the latter first. I think it's a very asymmetrical moment for the market because there's not much that Apple, Amazon, Google, things, the big ones uh, can say here that'll make them surge. But man, anything that's hinting at weakness, a little disappointment, a little light, a little uh, something not right, and you can get asymmetrical drops, not necessarily the Netflix type drop, but something big. Uh, as, as the pattern goes, look, Microsoft is on its one year trend, but it has broken trend uh, from its COVID low. Uh, I think, you know, as the market goes, Microsoft goes, as Microsoft goes, the market goes. Tony, your last words on this trade. So I do think that we have to look at the Azure cloud business. I think that is what is likely going to drive some upside here going into an earnings event. And, but, and because I want to protect myself, I'm using an out-of-the-money call spread as I'm using in this trade structure. All right. For everything Options Action, check out our website and sign up for our newsletter. Here's what's coming up next. Still to come, shifts happen. Usually in the options chess games, we anticipate change. But when surprise change suddenly turns you into a pawn, you can still use these tools to get yourself out of check. 
Professor Co. explains. Plus, calling all Options Action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at Options Action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when Options Action returns. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Options Action. Usually when using options, we're looking ahead to an expected catalyst. But what happens when a catalyst takes you by surprise? Professor Ko has another teaching moment for us. Professor. Yeah, so I kind of want to begin this conversation where the last one uh, ended, basically. And Carter was pointing out that if you take a look at some of these tech earnings, that there isn't much that these companies could say that would propel the stocks higher, but any disappointment and you could suddenly see them go a lot lower. Well, there's another sector that that happened to this past week. That's financials, of course. If you take a look at how that's performed over the last five trading days, down probably 7.5% versus 5.5% or so for the S&P more broadly. And the reason, essentially, was what we heard from all of these big financials. Who were those that were reporting? We're talking about J.P. Morgan, Citi, Wells, BlackRock reported Goldman Sachs, all of these guys coming out. And of course, these are different areas of financial services as well. So this was supposed to be the time for financials, right? We were supposed to be seeing rising rates. We were going to see better interest margins. And yet here we are. So I think this is a situation where these uh, the whole sector is essentially stuck, but also uh, we've gotten into a situation where a lot of the bad news has already come out. So I think this is an interesting setup potentially for something called an iron condor. An iron condor is a strategy that we can use when we believe that we might be range bound for some time. Now, the th- thing, of course, about getting into a situation where you're betting that it's not going to go materially higher or materially lower is to be mindful of catalysts. Well, we've already seen many of those come and go. And that's not to say we don't have some important ones coming up. Obviously, we've got the Fed next week. That's important. One of the things, of course, too, is that when you use an iron condor, we're going to be essentially getting into a short uh, options trade where it's a credit trade. This is a situation where because you want to take advantage of the fact that options decay more rapidly, the more nearer dated they are, we're looking for shorter dated options. So in this case, I was actually just looking out to February and I was looking specifically at the XLF 35, 37, 40, 42 iron condor. And in this trade, I'm selling the 37, 35 put spread, and I'm selling the 40, 42 call spread. Net, net, I would be collecting about 64 cents. Now, of course, because XLF can only be where it is now, lower or higher at expiration, you really only have risk on one side of that spread if it starts to move in either direction. So really the way to think about how much you're receiving relative to the risk you take is the amount of premium you collect uh, basically relative to the distance between the two strikes on the put spread and the call spread. The idea here, of course, is that it's going to stay within that boundary between now and February 18th. Prevented from going much higher by what we're seeing in the market and prevented from going much lower because a lot of the bad news has already come out. All right. Carter, what do you make of the charts? 
Well, uh, I've got two, but before we get to those, I think the important thing is this. This perhaps, uh, with no exception, was the most sort of embraced theme over the past three to four months. One, rates will go higher, and the financials as value stocks will outperform. It's been nothing but the opposite. JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, brokers like Jeffries, Cowan, uh, H-Band today down some 10, 15. It's gone the exact opposite way. Uh, so financials having been re-rated lower, now probably just go flat. Uh, let's look at two charts. The first is just XLF, uh, and you see the well-defined downtrend, and this is XLF relative to SPY. We've hit this line four or five times. We failed, I don't think, uh, anything but more of the same, uh, likely to continue to fail at this line. The second is XLF, the last chart of the two itself, and is talk about a well-defined channel. Uh, we've moved from the top to the bottom. This is basically the channel of the past uh, 10 months. And so at the bottom, it probably sort of starts to meander and do nothing. I think XLF uh, were loved, friendships were loved. Now, uh, they're not interesting, if you will, and so betting against volatility. All right, so the technicals line up. Tony, what's your take, and is this a trade you'd be inclined to make? Uh, it is, because this is really a question of timing. Iron Condor, in order for it to profit, the asset needs to trade sideways. And that's always tricky to identify, because a lot of traders tend to put on Iron Condors once they've established a trading range, once they saw the trading range uh, take, take hold. But our research shows almost the exact opposite, that assets statistically trade sideways after a huge move. And that's exactly what we've seen so far in XLF this week, because the move we've seen this week has only happened nine times over the last four years. So timing, I think, is very is, is great on this particular iron condor. And then if you look at the trade structure, again, Mike was showing you the iron condor is a combination of a put vertical and a, a put credit spread and a call credit spread. He's selling the 3735 put credit spread and he's selling the 4042 call credit spread. He's collecting about one third of the vertical width, which is $2 wide on each side. I tend to be a little bit more tactical here. I think we're near the bottom end of the range. I think you could move that lower strike up by $1 to the 38.36, but that's just being a little bit uh, tactical on the bottom end of the range. And that will bring in another about 13, 14 cents in credit. And that brings the risk to reward ratio from about two to one to about one and a half to one. That's kind of how, that's the minor adjustment that I would make to this particular iron condor. Yeah, Mike, what do you think of that adjustment? Why did you choose your levels? Yeah, I think I chose my levels basically because in a situation where you see essentially all risk assets declining, and that is absolutely what we are seeing, um, you know, people will oftentimes um, sell because they have to, not just because they want to necessarily. And so even things that might otherwise hold up just on a value basis, you might still see some continued pressure. Put differently, if the S&P is down 80 handles again next Monday, do I expect to see financials up? No, I don't. I expect that they'll probably trade lower. As much lower? No, because a lot of the bad news has already come out. But essentially, I'm fading uh, that downside put just slightly, simply because I'm trying to reflect the market sentiment in which we find ourselves. All right. Up next, we're taking a look back on a high energy trade from a few weeks back. More options action right after this. Welcome back to Options Action. Time for a high-energy look back. A few weeks back, Tony laid out a way to play the XLE. My expectation is to look for some higher oil prices, especially as we have some pent-up demand, and that's likely going to be a nice boost here for energy stocks going to the second half 
of next year. So if we take a look at a chart here of just crude prices, first of all, what we have is a full year of what we would consider higher highs and higher lows. And this simply points to further upside here next year towards about 85 and potentially higher. So I'm going out to uh, June and I'm buying the $55 call options on XLE. And against that, I'm gonna sell the February $59 call options against it for about 80 cents. Since then, energy is up nearly 13%. So, Tony, what do you do now? Well, you certainly move faster than I had expected. If you had just bought those call options, you're looking at about 100% return. If you use the diagonal the structure that I looked at, you're up about 40%. Certainly not, not nothing uh, to sneeze at. However, I am inclined to continue to hold on to these February call options. I do think we could see some weakness where I look to buy back those calls and maintain my June options because I still think there's further upside down the road. All right. Up next, your tweets and the final call. Welcome back to Options Action. Usually when using options, we're looking ahead to an expected catalyst. But what happens when a catalyst takes you by surprise? Professor Ko has another teaching moment for us. Professor. Yeah, so I kind of want to begin this conversation where the last one uh, ended, basically. And Carter was pointing out that if you take a look at some of these tech earnings, that there isn't much that these companies could say that would propel the stocks higher, but any disappointment and you could suddenly see them go a lot lower. Well, there's another sector that that happened to this past week. That's financials, of course. If you take a look at how that's performed over the last five trading days, down probably 7.5% versus 5.5% or so for the S&P more broadly. And the reason, essentially, was what we heard from all of these big financials. Who were those that were reporting? We're talking about J.P. Morgan, Citi, Wells, BlackRock reported Goldman Sachs, all of these guys coming out. And of course, these are different areas of financial services as well. So this was supposed to be the time for financials, right? We were supposed to be seeing rising rates. We were going to see better interest margins. And yet here we are. So I think this is a situation where these uh, the whole sector is essentially stuck, but also uh, we've gotten into a situation where a lot of the bad news has already come out. So I think this is an interesting setup potentially for something called an iron condor. An iron condor is a strategy that we can use when we believe that we might be range bound for some time. Now, the th thing, of course, about getting into a situation where you're betting that it's not going to go materially higher or materially lower is to be mindful of catalysts. Well, we've already seen many of those come and go. And that's not to say we don't have some important ones coming up. Obviously, we've got the Fed next week. That's important. One of the things, of course, too, is that when you use an iron condor, we're going to be essentially getting into a short uh, options trade where it's a credit trade. This is a situation where because you want to take advantage of the fact that options decay more rapidly, the more nearer dated they are, we're looking for shorter dated options. So in this case, I was actually just looking out to February and I was looking specifically at the XLF 35, 37, 40, 42 iron condor. And in this trade, I'm selling the 37, 35 put spread, and I'm selling the 40, 42 call spread. Net, net, I would be collecting about 64 cents. Now, of course, because XLF can only be where it is now, lower or higher at expiration, you really only have risk on one side of that spread if it starts to move in either direction. So really the way to think about how much you're receiving relative to the risk you take is the amount of premium you collect 
basically relative to the distance between the two strikes on the put spread and the call spread. The idea here, of course, is that it's going to stay within that boundary between now and February 18th, prevented from going much higher by what we're seeing in the market and prevented from going much lower because a lot of the bad news has already come out. Carter, what do you make of the charts? Well, uh, I've got two, but before we get to those, I think the important thing is this. This perhaps, uh, with no exception, was the most sort of embraced theme over the past three to four months. One, rates will go higher, and the financials as value stocks will outperform. It's been nothing but the opposite. JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, brokers like Jeffries, Cowan, uh, H-Band today down some 10, 15. It's gone the exact opposite way. Uh, so financials having been re-rated lower, now probably just go flat. Uh, let's look at two charts. The first is just XLF, uh, and you see the well-defined downtrend, and this is XLF relative to SPY. We've hit this line four or five times. We failed, I don't think, uh, anything but more of the same, uh, likely to continue to fail at this line. The second is XLF, the last chart of the two itself, and is talk about a well-defined channel. Uh, we've moved from the top to the bottom. This is basically the channel of the past uh, 10 months. And so at the bottom, it probably sort of starts to meander and do nothing. I think XLF uh, were loved, friendships were loved. Now, uh, they're not interesting, if you will, and so betting against volatility. All right, so the technicals line up. Tony, what's your take, and is this a trade you'd be inclined to make? Uh, it is, because this is really a question of timing. Iron Condor, in order for it to profit, the asset needs to trade sideways. And that's always tricky to identify, because a lot of traders tend to put on Iron Condors once they've established a trading range, once they saw the trading range uh, take sh- take hold. But our research shows almost the exact opposite, that assets statistically trade sideways after a huge move. And that's exactly what we've seen so far in XLF this week, because the move we've seen this week has only happened nine times over the last four years. So timing, I think, is very is, is great on this particular iron condor. And then if you look at the trade structure, again, Mike was showing you the iron condor is a combination of a put vertical and a, a put credit spread and a call credit spread. He's selling the 3735 put credit spread and he's selling the 4042 call credit spread. He's collecting about one third of the vertical width, which is $2 wide on each side. I tend to be a little bit more tactical here. I think we're near the bottom end of the range. I think you could move that lower strike up by $1 to the 38.36, but that's just being a little bit uh, tactical on the bottom end of the range. And that will bring in another about 13, 14 cents in credit. And that brings the risk reward ratio from about two to one to about one and a half to one. That's kind of how, that's the minor adjustment that I would make to this particular iron condor. Yeah, Mike, what do you think of that adjustment? Why did you choose your levels? Yeah, I think I chose my levels basically because in a situation where you see essentially all risk assets declining, and that is absolutely what we are seeing, um, you know, people will oftentimes um, sell because they have to, not just because they want to necessarily. And so even things that might otherwise hold up just on a value basis, you might still see some continued pressure. Put differently, if the S&P is down 80 handles again next Monday, Do I expect to see financials up? No, I don't. I expect that they'll probably trade lower. As much lower? No, because a lot of the bad news has already come out. But essentially, I'm fading uh, that downside put just slightly, simply because I'm trying to reflect the market sentiment in which we find ourselves. All right. Up next, we're taking a look back on a high energy trade from a few weeks back. More options action right after this. 
Saturday. CNBC is your ticket to the annual Berkshire Hathaway meeting. Watch live on air or stream all the action at CNBC.com. Warren Buffett meets with shareholders, plus their questions, his answers. Becky Quick and Mike Santoli with full coverage from Omaha. Then re-rack the energy with highlights Monday morning starting on Squawk Box. The annual Berkshire Hathaway meeting, live on air and online, starts 9.30 Eastern, Saturday, CNBC.